Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 91 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and uh, I've been remiss not to have uh, today's guest on the podcast until now, 91 episodes in. Perhaps I should have had him on uh, right up from the beginning. Uh, we've talked about uh, uh, him coming on several times, and finally it came uh, came about. Uh, UAE number one, Adil Makbul, uh, is our guest today, and uh, we have a really good chat uh, I've known Adil, uh, I guess, basically almost since I came here because um, when I arrived in Dubai back in 2007, uh, the first thing I did was uh, seek out. Well, even before I got here, I, I kind of knew a little bit about the lay of the land in terms of uh, the squash scene here. And it was quite, uh, it seemed to be quite vibrant at that time. And uh, I pretty much uh, played, I think it was the second week after I got here, I was playing in a squash tournament that was hosted at uh, his club and his father's club there. They had, I played in Division uh, Div 1, I got to the semifinal, lost to uh, uh, Gavin Pennington, maybe you Australians might know the name, the Pennington uh, squash family. Anyways, uh, that was the start of things for me in squash, and it was at Adel's club where I briefly, well, I met his dad. I didn't meet him at the time. I think he might have been playing, but uh, Adel and I have known uh, each other since then pretty much, and uh, he's been number one in the UAE, uh, I think, dating back to 2003 up until today. Uh, really, uh, uh, and also as a junior, he was a top junior in the world. Uh, I think he was number one in the ESF. I think that's the European Squash Federation's uh, rankings as an under 13, 15, and 17 uh, player. And probably uh, uh, definitely in the top 10 in the world in all age groups, uh, even in under 19. I'm not uh, 100% sure on that. But uh, top junior player and then took that into uh, – relatively uh, successful professional career reaching as high as 66 all the while living and uh, you know pursuing an academic uh, degree in computer science I believe living in uh, in the UAE where there's very little competition for him even as a junior that must have been tough but uh, under the guidance of his father he managed to carve out uh, or to become a very uh, very talented player if you've never uh, seen him play you should I posted a video there uh, up on uh, Facebook of his uh, one of his matches in the Nantes uh, tournament. I think he was playing Eddie Charlton. And uh, that's just a taste of uh, the type of uh, racket skills that he has. And his, uh, just his mobility and movement around the court uh, are, are very natural and, and highly skilled. He's a highly skilled player, a very intelligent fellow, and we had a great conversation uh, about all things squash, his career, UAE squash, uh, several uh, things we get a little we talk a little bit squ about uh, the politics of the game in this region and what's needed in order to uh, to bring it back to its heyday particularly uh, within uh, Pakistan where where he is from uh, I think he was born here in the UAE it could be mistaken but and and he grew up here but his uh, father uh, Khwaja Makbul uh, is from uh, Pakistan and uh, is a very highly respected uh, squash coach. Uh, I think a physiologist by uh, is his academic background, and he doesn't come from uh, you know the family, the squash families that we all know about. Obviously, the the, the Khan clan. But he's a great coach, and he's he's got several. He and uh, Adel have several uh, very talented juniors that they're coaching right here in the UAE at the moment that are doing quite well in Egypt and in India. 
and we talk a bit about junior squash uh, development as well. So it's a wide-ranging conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. Adel Makbul, episode 91. Uh, all right. Well, today uh, I've been re- remiss not uh, having this guy on until now. You know, uh, I live in the UAE and uh, not having the uh, UAE number one on until like almost two years into the podcast is appalling. But uh, anyways, we did it today. Uh, he's the current UAE number one and has been since 2002, former world number 66. And he's won the prestigious Abu Dhabi uh, Open title in the UAE at least 12 times. And uh, last week he made a foray back into the PSA Tour in Lahore where he got to the quarterfinal. Adil Makbul is my guest. Adil, great to, uh, great to hear your voice and great to have you on the podcast after a little bit of uh, technical uh, navigating. Hi, Jerry. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, we managed to get it sorted at the end. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, uh, you, you know, we've always uh, chatted quite a bit over the years. And uh, it's been great to, great to see you back on court uh, last week. I, I didn't really, I, I thought, I knew there was an event in Lahore, so I figured, oh, usually you play in those. And as it turned out, you did. So uh, how did it feel to be back on court again uh, for you? And how pleased were you with uh, the way you played? Um, to be honest, uh, I've uh not been training a lot for the past two years uh, since I started my job and um, I was actually really pleased to get to the quarters because I just went in with no expectations at all. I trained a little bit uh, over Ramadan and when I ended up at the tournament I had no pressure because I knew I wasn't you know matched ready yet but I think that worked for me because I was playing a young boy from Lahore who was extremely fit and just running around the court as they normally do. Um, but since I had no pressure, I went for my shots and I uh, was two and down. And I think at seven all in the fourth, I went for shots. I usually would not try uh, when I was uh, playing full time before. They seemed to work and sort of uh, just uh, hurt him mentally a little bit. And then he pretty much didn't fight for the fifth, which really helped me out because I was really struggling towards the end. Okay. Yeah, that's unusual. You'd think, you know, uh, uh, maybe just didn't have that experience to realize that, that you were, you'd probably be struggling, but uh, I would have liked to have been there to see you hit some shots that you normally wouldn't pull off or wouldn't try in a normal match because uh, under normal circumstances, you, you go for your shots. So that, that would have been entertaining. Uh, yeah, I actually uh, hit a reverse angle boast at seven all in the fourth. <laughs> you mean which, uh, uh, yeah, from the front court to the back? From I'll... the back of the court. Oh, from the, oh, from the back. No, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay. I've never done that before. And uh, yeah, that really uh, seemed a, to... A little bit of John out. White there. <laughs> yeah. So I did it on the forehand and that seemed to really shake him up quite a bit. And, um, you know, I was holding the ball quite a bit. And I think over the course of four games that just broke him down because he wasn't expecting me to be doing... I think it's the first time he's watched me or played against me. And he wasn't expecting a few of the holds I was doing with him. And then... I thought he probably thought I was very, very tired, which I was, but yeah, I just kept prolonging the rallies and just, you know, trying to use a little bit of the experience that I have now and it seemed to have worked. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you're, you're well known for your shots for the, for the people who've played against you and know, who know you on the tour. In fact, uh, I think I posted maybe three, four months ago, the, uh, maybe, maybe the best shot I've, I've ever seen. Uh, the, the one from Nantes uh, where you hit the, I think it was a backhand volley, uh, top spin into the left 
front left front nick uh take us through that shot i mean and and the reaction that you got uh after that i think i'll you know when it, when this podcast goes live i think i'll add that uh footage uh to the uh to the to the bottom of the um, podcast there yeah. <laughs> um i th- i think you're talking about the overhead that i hit while going backwards uh on the forehand was it the forehand if, okay because i that, thought it was backhand yeah, okay. I, I, um i think it was the forehand cuz i had <laughs> that was one of my best matches to be honest i've had quite a few good shots in that match again that was a match i played when i was uh trying to make a little comeback so i wasn't really very fit and uh, i was just enjoying it and i think that was the second uh or the first year actually when they did the tournament in not and it's one of the best tournaments i've ever played in my life and as it's grown over the past couple of years um as you're aware and this year it's going to be a really big tournament as well and mm. the crowd there was just brilliant you know and it really made us feel like rock stars every time they got us on court it was lovely and uh you know being quite tired towards the end that's when i started going for the shots because every time i hit a nice shot everybody just cheered me on quite a bit and yeah they seemed to be about, chanting uh, they seemed to be chanting uh, some sort of nickname for you or or they were chanting something uh, do you remember that yeah yeah i do i do cuz i couldn't stop smiling <laughs> in the okay. middle of the rally um yeah. yeah they were actually just uh, calling my dad's name out mugpool so on the tour okay. <laughs> by the second name. <laughs> well he he, yeah. he must have loved that oh yeah no, i if, if it's the one that you're talking about where they were chanting my name that's the backhand drop shot from mid court that yeah, i that's, that's that's the one i'm talking about that's yeah, the yeah. one yeah correct yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah that was i was match balled down and i think uh, they were just trying to cheer me on to play a couple more rallies cuz i was really struggling in between the rallies and they were still cheering me on so i think it was a odd 500 people there that day and it was lovely hearing them chant my name so I just kept you know I uh, kept pushing and just trying to go for those ridiculous shots <laughs> to really enjoy it <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah, well it was a great shot and uh, it went sort of a I guess if any things go viral in the squash community I think that that one certainly did there for a little bit um <laughs> but uh yeah so so just getting back to uh your mat your tournament in Lahore does this mean uh, perhaps that you've got you plant maybe plant the the seed for another comeback um yeah hopefully um as i mentioned i uh, started uh, i was coaching quite a bit a couple of years back uh, and then um i took a break basically in 2000 uh, when i turned 21 and i finished my degree that's when i pretty much stopped competing full time i was in the top uh, 70 at the in the world at that time Um so I started my job about 2 years ago hoping to you know get myself out of coaching and just work you know the normal office hours and then have some time to myself to train in the evenings. Um I don't see myself going you know full time the way I used to play you know train twice a day and stuff but ideally um if my you know hopefully the business is picking up uh, speed now and if it um goes the way I want to then I should have a couple of hours a day to train on my own so that would uh, be ideal for me and and uh, yeah hopefully i get a couple more tournaments in i think i'll stick to tournaments very close to dubai at the moment because uh, yeah, i can't be traveling too far ahead which i did quite a lot uh, in my playing time when i went to the us and canada for about 3 months at a time to play the whole circuit uh, when i was studying but yeah i can't be doing that anymore so yeah the the, the, re- the tournaments in the region are the ones i'm going to aim for now right on 
Yeah. Uh, so that that'd be the pack the the Pakistani uh, PSA circuit events and uh, others in I guess Iran Iraq uh, have some events and maybe even in Qatar. Uh, yeah, uh, Qatar. I've visited Qatar quite a few times. So yeah, I've I've, I've had uh, a little bit of I've played two two finals in Iran and uh, over my career. So. I've uh, had a nice uh, time in Iran, so if there are any tournaments there, I might end up over there again. What, what's it like over there uh, to, to anyone who might be interested? I mean, obviously, there, uh, we've got some serious issues going on in the global political scene right now, but uh, what about the squash uh, community over there? What, what's it like? I think they have a, they have quite a small community, uh, and they really take care of the players quite a lot. Uh, I think I've, I've I've been to Quiche quite a lot, uh, which you know, as you know, for Dubai, it's it's um, it's a very short flight, like twenty minutes or so. Right. And that is lovely because they have a very small island and they have a big one, big hotel. So you know, all the players, especially coming from the from England, a lot of players used to come from England. They used to love the sun there because you know they there's nothing else to do basically. So they're they're. They're, you know, playing their matches and then they're out in the sun. So, uh, you know, and the organizers are, you know, they take care of the players quite a lot. It's absolutely safe. I've traveled between cities as well. Uh, and, you know, it's always felt really, really safe. And I've, uh, over the years, I've had quite a few friends uh, that have actually ended up coming for those tournaments year in, year out, because they actually like it. Um, you know, it's... Uh, you know, being being a small community there, the organizers really put a lot of effort into making you welcome and, you know, just to try and get you back the next year. So, Like, like they did in Halifax, right? Exactly. Exactly. I, I think I, the first time I played Halifax was a 20K and then it just, it was 30, 35, 40. I think I, I went three to four years in a row. And yeah, I had one of my best times on the on on the tour in Halifax. Actually, yeah, they still they still talk about you over there. I'm re- I'm really close, as you know, with uh, with uh, Zal Dabar, who who was one of the yeah. event organizers and sponsors, and uh, he still talks about the the uh, about having you there. And uh, uh, Billy Marshall, still a mad dog, we used to call him. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I still couldn't believe how much ice cream you ate before the the <laughs> night before your your, yeah. your match. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I had uh, I had a lot of ice cream because uh, one of the times that I was in uh, Halifax, I think that was the last tour that I did. I was supposed to play ten to twelve tournaments over a four month period, and uh, I, I was playing in Vancouver in the first tournament, and I injured myself really badly. Uh, I I basically hyperflexed my ankle and my knee. Uh, while I was playing Shahir Razik, uh, I just uh, slipped over a little bit of sweat and really hurt myself so when I went to Halifax I was uh, you know at the university there they had that uh, physiotherapy clinic who really right. helped me get, get back because I didn't come back to Dubai I stayed in Canada for a bit I stayed with my uncle in Edmonton for a yeah, bit that, that yeah. clinic by, by incidentally that clinic's quite I mean whoever is doing the work in there is has done really well I think Miguel Rodriguez actually took on the physiotherapist who worked on him and took that ended up taking him or her with him on his next three or four tournaments. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm talking about, I think, uh, in two thousand. This is two thousand nine, I would say. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they were brilliant because 
I, I, because I was in all these tournaments, I kept trying to get back uh, to try and play again and again. And they were, they, they kept me there for 10 days. Billy Marshall, you know, was very kind and let me stay with him for a bit and wouldn't let me travel till I got my ankle sorted. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was the ice cream was all the, you know, the stress eating I did. And he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we went out early in the mornings to get me ice cream. Cause yeah, uh, it was, they were, they were really nice actually, because uh, you know, when we travel and, and uh, being a Muslim, it's hard for us to find halal food uh, right. in certain places. And and Billy and his wife actually used to go. There was this one little store uh, which sold halal meat in Halifax. And they would go and, you know, stock up. The, the next, the second year I went, they actually stocked up on halal meat. And they, they would cook me these brilliant meals in the evening so that I could join them when they were eating food. And, and you know, so they... Over, I think, two, three years, they knew what I liked. So when I was there, it was like I was visiting my second home because everything I wanted was always there. Yeah, it was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Billy, Billy's a good guy. And uh, I remember when I was a junior, and obviously he's much older even, you know, than, than we are, than I am. But uh, I remember having to play against him. And uh, he had his nickname for a reason, Mad Dog. Yeah. What, what, um, yeah, I've, I've I've had a few discussions with him about his uh, you know his job in the past and stuff. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess it's I guess it's connected to that. Absolutely, yeah. Now, uh, now let's if you don't mind, let, let's take a, li- a little bit of a look back. I know as a junior, you were very very highly touted and highly decorated. I mean, you were close to number one in the world in in uh, under thirteen, fifteen, and seventeen, all while uh, living in the UAE uh, with your father. Uh, as your coach so uh, during that time uh, you guys must have really done a lot of hard work and your father must have known exactly what he was doing what do you remember uh, about those early years when you were coming up and playing uh, so well uh, as a junior um yeah i had a pretty uh, decent junior career um we didn't have uh, you know a particular world ranking at that time but i managed to get to the number one in the esf and the european junior rankings in the age groups you mentioned as well as i think in under 13 i was number one in asia as well and i even managed to go to the us and win the us junior olympics um in under 13 or under 15 I'm, i don't remember very well so yeah, it was. I was always pushing the top uh, three in my age group. I think it was uh, Omar Mossad and Tariq Momin were the uh, were the ones that uh, you know beat me in the British Juniors. And uh, Rosner, uh, as you know, was top five in the world. I had quite a few finals with him and and managed to never lose to him um, in the Juniors. Uh, I think we played two two Spanish Junior finals together, which I managed to win both times. Uh, but Rami uh, was, I think. A year older than us, but yeah, he was a class of his own even back then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, yeah, but he was always like just there in the first year of the junior category that we were playing, and then he was out the next year, and everybody, all of us were competing together after that. Right. Um, yeah, having my uh, dad as my coach, you know, it, uh, as a kid, obviously, I thought it was it was very very tough. Uh, but now being a parent myself, I've, I've got three kids myself now, I can see how you know, it was so great that he was always around. Um, you know, he, he sacrificed quite a bit of his uh, adult life for me, which you know, I really appreciate now. And I think whatever I am is because of my parents. You know, they've, they've, uh, they've had a lot of sacrifices. And again, being based in Dubai, as you said, it was just that much harder, uh, you know, 
since we weren't surrounded by uh, squash players all the time, my dad was my main contact for squash the whole time. Uh, he was, uh, you know, playing condition games with me, training, mm-hmm. you know, waking up in the mornings, going out for runs with me because, you know, if you're training with a team it's, it's, or, or you have a couple of people that are uh, working with you, it's a lot easier to, you know, just depend on them. But, yeah, for me, it was my dad when it came to squash and then in academic academics it was my mother who helped me out quite a bit so they all had their you know their shifts in the during the day when they had to do things for me Um, but yeah I think it was about when I was eight years old when I played my first uh, international tournament that's uh, when I started taking things more seriously myself because in the beginning everything was planned out for me and what I need to do how I need to do it and then my dad started giving me a little bit more of the responsibility so um, I was one of the very few Pakistani players who were studying and playing squash at the same time, you know. So, so you, you studied in the UK, didn't you? Um, um, I, I did my schooling in Dubai. I did my first uh, three years of university in Dubai as well. Okay. And then I went to uh, England to finish my degree in computer science. So I did my last year of uh, bachelor's in England. Right. And, uh, and I think during that time, you, you probably would have played uh, a little bit in the PSL. Uh, is that right? Or... Yeah, the first uh, first six <clears throat> months I did. I played on the same team as Peter Nickel. Uh, oh, wow. Well, he he just retired uh, a while back, but I still saw him. Uh, you know, one of like I learned so much from that one particular match where he beat uh, Marwan. I think he was already either the top two or three juniors in the world. Or he's probably he probably already won the world juniors and. And uh, Peter Nichol, having already been retired for I think a couple of years, still managed to beat him three love. Uh, right. It was yeah, it was yeah one of the matches that I I, I learned so much from because you know you talk about changing, um, you know the the tactic your tactics in the game mm. in a game depending on how tired you are or you know out of breath you are. And I saw Peter do that in the middle of rallies, which was ridiculous because yeah. you did. You never actually see it in such a short span of time, but he was doing that. So he would push through and volley everything for the first couple of shots. And then as soon as he'd get winded, he'd just start lobbing and lifting the ball. And Marwan, you know, you know the way he plays. He was similar when he was a junior. He likes playing fast pace. And he just didn't know what hit him because, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, just want to talk a little bit about about your father. Uh, again, if you don't mind, he, you know, as your coach. Uh, now, he... Um, he got, he's guided your, your career since the beginning, and he's also not from, your, I guess, a traditional squash background. He's more, I guess, he's a physiologist by trade or, or by academics, uh, his academic background. But he's also well-respected in the, in the squash community. I think he was referenced in uh, the Jahangir Khan book, 555. I think it was Alan Thatcher and Rod uh, Gilmore, Rob Gilmore, who wrote that book. And they, to sort in the book, um, they, they were sort of discussing the problem uh, over the last 15, 20, or even longer back uh, in Pakistani squash, and they referenced your dad. And uh, just to paraphrase, I think it was something like uh, to the effect that uh, players nowadays are getting coaching from, ta- from the family members of great players, not necessarily from the, the coaches who have the technical expertise is that more or less what your your dad was saying in terms of uh, uh, what's going, what has gone on in Pakistani squash uh, over the last uh, twenty years or so? 
Um, all right. Um, I'll take the second question first with regards to the to his um, comment in the book. Mm. Um, it was more along the lines that, you know, in Pakistan, we have quite limited resources in terms of what can be spent on players. And, you know, even the, the courts and the clubs that we have, even though we have world-class facilities, they're not that spread out throughout the country. And they're, you know, more players and less courts. So his point was basically, you know, that the players that are being focused on are relatives of ex-players or ex-legends of the game in the country. So it's, and again, the coaching positions are also sort of held by uh, players that are related to them. But the main, the main thing he thinks is a problem is that, you know, a lot of these limited resources are being spent on those players. And, you know, um, if they don't perform, it's the players that are shunned for, not being, you know, hardworking enough or not putting in the efforts, but the people who select them in the first place, they're never held uh, held accountable for it. The coaches are not held accountable. You know, it's always the players that take the blame. Mm. And so that's that's where he believes, you know, that the, the mechanism for talent hunting in Pakistan is, or, you know, it's changed a bit in the last few years, but it's what he feels is flawed. You know, there's no lack of talent or hardworking mm. players, but if you keep spending money on the same players, regardless of whether they're performing or not. And, you know, they, they expect quick results, which again, as you know, it takes 10, 15 years to, to, to develop a player from scratch. And, you know, you need to put in a lot of effort, you know, a structured effort into the players to get them to the top. And I think that is something that uh, lacks in Pakistan, you know, the, the broad vision, the, 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 you know, looking into the future and then, you know, taking time, letting the players work on, you know, a group of players that are selected, again, not based on who they're related to or, you know, just, just by pure talent, basically, and pure hard work, uh, you know. And he, again, believes that, you know, the legends of the game uh, in Pakistan need to have a lot of input into creating these these new players, new generation of players. Because if you look at Jeff Hunt, Rodney Martin, you know, all, all these ex-legends of the game, they've produced quite a few more players in the, in you know, recently mm-hmm. um, and, and they've given back a lot to the game and, and I think this is what needs to happen in, in Pakistan as well uh, you know if a player keeps fighting the system it takes a huge emotional toll on them and you know when it's mm. you know and then they, they seemingly all retire at a very very young age yeah. and because of their lofty pedigrees you know they get really good jobs as coaches uh, internationally and then they just quit so you know they're 20 25 years old less than 30 basically and, and then they retire so you know they leave this void of new players that need to fill because they've been spending 10 years on those same players and then they get a job and they just quit out of nowhere so then you don't have someone following up behind them but if you look at india for example india over the past 15 20 years have come leaps and bounds in, in their junior programs and then you can see how they're they're transitioning into the seniors as well i believe mm-hmm. sorov broke into the top 10 for the first time yeah and, you know, uh, so I mean, they have a very good structured program, and they have backups of players that are going to retire. You know, they've, they've they've got a proper structure, I think, which we need to focus on and, and build. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't uh, just a few years ago. I think maybe two years ago at the World Juniors, Pakistan actually won the team event. Yeah, yeah, they they did, um, and yeah, but again, of all those players that won the team events, I mean, you. It, it, it proves my 
point, you don't really see those kids uh, around that much. They're they're probably in the top uh, 100, 150 in the world. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, you would want. Yeah, to- I, I guess that's my question, right? What what happened? Like, where where are these guys? I mean, usually you win a team, a world junior team event. The, for example, the Egyptians. The next year, half of them are in the top 20. You know? Yeah, exactly. So th- that's my point. A couple of them, I think, stopped playing, uh, I, I, and then a few of them got injured. So it's again not following. You know, they don't have a particular coach that takes care of them the whole time. Sometimes, um, you know, they'd have a, a national coach, their own personal coach, coaching them, and then they'd have whoever is the national coach would train them in a separate way. So I think just getting the harmony between coaches is very important as well, uh, not to injure the players. You know. And I think of the guys that played the, the finals uh, or, or won it. I think, I, I don't remember if Tayyip still, uh, Tayyip Aslam still uh, mm. was a part of that team or not. But he's, I think, top 15 in the world. So yeah. he's, he's doing yeah. all right. And then we have Israr, I think, who is also top 70, top 80. So they're, they're in the top 100. But again, it's, you know, the players they beat are going to be breaking the top 30 quite soon. So, you know, we need to, we need to learn from the system of Egypt, of India. Uh, you know, of England and try to have that structure in this, you know, in our system that uh, develops these players, if, you know, gradually, not just, just burn them out and focus and work very hard on a junior event and then don't have a plan once, they're, once they stop juniors. Is it, uh, is it a lot to do with uh, maybe financial support as well? I mean, you see a lot of the, the Egyptian juniors, they, they play overseas and they, they travel to a lot of events uh, outside of uh, Egypt. Is that something as well? Um, I couldn't really comment on the, uh, on the financial side because, again, I've, I've lived here all my life. I've, I've played for Pakistan, but I've never been a part of the Pakistan. You know, I've been, as, you know, been top four in Pakistan for a bit when I was playing full-time, but I never got funded by Pakistan uh, Squash Federation as such ever. And... Uh, it, it does seem they do have a bit of money to spend, but again, uh, probably not spent uh, very, very wisely. Right. Uh, um, and I think, uh, you know, when you have players performing, it's easier to get sponsors for them. So I think two, three years ago, they had these string of tournaments that happened in Pakistan, which helped quite a few of the kids because they could play tournaments in Pakistan. And then, you know, they get ranking points, which really helps them to come up the ranking. So when you can show that your players are coming up the ranking, I think the multinational companies in the country are happy to support. But then in the last two, three years, the rankings have dropped for pretty much all of them, except two or three of them, which I think they've taken a bit of a hit because now it's harder for them to find funding at a national level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah I, uh, coming back to, to my dad, as you asked me about him uh, regarding his uh, uh, you know, degree and how he takes physiology degree, shots. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we don't come from a squash playing fa- squash playing family, and uh, I think uh, in my whole family, my dad's the only one who actually took up sports as a profession. Um, he has been working on a branch of physiology that he likes to call squash physiology his entire adult life. So, um, he he has infused a lot of his you know. Uh, academics knowledge into coaching used um, his degree to focus a lot on the biomechanics of the swing movement patterns and all other aspects of the game to help you know identify and, and prevent injuries in players so 
one of his first projects when he started coaching was to debunk the myth that you can't teach squash to kids who are as young as three years old. Um, mm-hmm. And he started, he started, and, and you know, now it's quite common with the way the rackets are and everything that, you know, younger kids are playing and not injuring themselves. But back in the eighties, everybody thought it was a very strenuous sport to have kids as young as, you know, two and a half, three, four years old to actually start playing the game. So he started, I started squash when I was three years old and he started coaching my cousin before me who was three as well. And uh, Muhammad Ali uh, was actually quite renowned in, in the UAE. Uh, if you remember Sheikh uh, Ahmed Al Maktoum who won the gold medal for um, the first Olympic gold medal for the UAE. Yeah. My cousin at the age of four and a half actually, uh, Sheikh Muhammad Ahmed was the UAE national number one uh, at that time. Okay. And uh, my cousin actually ended up playing an exhibition match against him when he was about four and a half years old. So he was he was good enough to hit every pretty much every shot in the book when he was four years old, mm-hmm. and you know good enough to play exhibitions at that age. So this is what he's worked pretty much all his life on is how to use sport, uh, how to use squash basically, and uh, you know fix certain uh, physiological issues that kids uh, have nowadays. Like you know they're overweight. They can have, they can be underweight, overweight, you know, just different kind of uh, issues that kids have physiologically. He basically has developed ways of using squash to uh, help them overcome those issues. That's really, um, that's really interesting. Uh, it's something we see a lot now elsewhere as well, like uh, guys like Nick Taylor with Infinitum and uh, other programs across the, the globe are really pushing to introduce uh, squash to uh, younger kids and uh, I guess it's sort of you know he's they're applying the same principles uh, more or less that that your father uh, is doing as well yeah uh, yes exactly and and I think uh, uh, if you take the right approach because I'm, I'm coaching kids now as well uh, as young as four years old and I'm using the same techniques my dad's taught me and um, you can see uh, if it's done the right way, uh, it doesn't hurt the kids, but it, it gives them a skill that keeps getting better. If you, if you start off with them properly, it gives them a skill that stays with them for the rest of their lives. And, and if started off properly, they just keep getting better and better as they get older and stronger. Um, you know, and my dad's always had a firm belief that the first coach of every player uh, should be possibly if possible the best coach he ever gets because that's the person that sets up your entire foundation for the rest of your life and even though at later uh, periods of your career you can change your swing you can change your grip and stuff but it takes a lot more effort when you're you know to change something that you've been doing for a long time rather than have it set up for you uh, you know uh, with a lot of emphasis in the beginning of your mm-hmm. career so you know we we uh, I was uh, just you know discussing it with other coaches as well and they all you know just leave the kids on with anybody on court for a while uh coaches that manage uh you know other coaches and we had this discussion that they just leave uh you know the the first few sessions they just want the kid to feel out how the court is and they just give them any coach they have but then you know by the time they've done four or five lessons their their minds so focused on just hitting the ball that they don't care about how to swing how to hold the racket that they just want to connect the ball Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then, then again, at a young age, that is something that's harder to change once they've sort of, uh, you know, already ingrained that, okay, I need to hold the grip closed 
So that doesn't work, and I need to change it to open now. It's harder to explain it to a four-year-old rather than just set him up yeah. properly from the beginning. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you've got to start, uh, like you said, start the right way. And uh, with a good coach, you, you can, uh, with someone who cares and, and is passionate about teaching kids and has the knowledge, that's definitely going to uh, set up things nicely. Yeah. Yep. That's, yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it, it is, unfortunately, something that's overlooked quite a lot, uh, yeah. you know, um, and we have quite a few, you know, players coming from different coaches to us after spending two to three years. What what sometimes, uh, you know, uh, parents don't understand is that a kid from seven to eleven, for example, is gonna is gonna keep growing. So he's gonna keep getting stronger. So he's gonna keep hitting the ball harder. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's improving technique or he's, you know, getting a grasp a better grasp of the game. Because at that age, every year in juniors, you know, makes a huge difference. They should be a proper upward trajectory of their skill level going up and everything. But if it's just power that's going, then when they turn 13, 14, you can see how limited their skill set gets. Uh, you know, so that's why, you know, we always urge the player, the coaches to start off with the kids. Just don't focus too much on them hitting the ball. My dad made us, uh, makes his players swing quite a bit in the beginning uh, when they start, uh, when they start their session, it's quite boring for the kids. So, you know, we establish it with the parents early on, whether they want to play professionally or they just want to play for fun. And then, you know, if it's for fun, then it doesn't matter. They just want to connect the ball. It's okay. But if they want to play professionally, we try to make it fun for them. But at the same time, you know, they need to swing, which is boring for a kid. You know, they're not hitting the ball. It's very boring. But then most of the kids that go through that phase, you know, you can see the difference in their technique and players that just go on and start hitting the ball straight away. Right on. <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, I actually, I, I've been working a, a little bit, you know, uh, over the last couple of years with a young uh, junior here, and he's been doing reasonably well in the UAE junior tournaments. But I was thinking, I told them the other day that I would, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good idea to sort of reference, uh, refer students to other, other coaches. So I'm not... I'm not a full-time squash coach uh, these days, so uh, I was thinking I might uh, introduce him, uh, try to get him to go down and see you and you and your dad on the weekend. So uh, yeah, yeah, sure. that be, That'd be great. you might know yeah. who he is. I mean, his yeah, name is I Mantha. think uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Manthan, yeah, he's. Yeah. Uh, I think one of my younger kids is having quite a good, uh, <laughs> tough games with him now. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so well, yeah. I, I told him. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, you and I, uh, we know each other quite well, and uh, I, yeah. I told the father that I'd speak. Uh, you know, and uh, and your dad uh, that I'd speak uh, yeah. to you guys and uh, think that you know being up here in in the northern uh, Emirates it's kind of uh, it's even worse than what it would be like for anyone living in Dubai there's not much competition obviously uh, so uh, uh, but, yeah, but uh, he's enjoying it so uh, and, yeah, uh, yeah that's 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 nice that's something that you know I've, I've really struggled with my entire career being based out of Dubai you know because as you know there there's very little competition here so every time, every time you you know you'd go out playing a tour, and I'm struggling with this a little bit with the kids that I'm coaching because I've got a couple of kids who are uh, you know playing for Egypt at the moment. Uh, I have uh, one kid who got to the number one in under 15 last year in the Egyptian rankings, and so he's he's quite good. But again, the problem is just getting him regular competition here. And you know yeah. when he comes back from a tournament, he's all fresh in his mind about what he needs to do, what he doesn't need to do. But then. As the weeks go by, you know that that uh, the freshness of that pace and everything goes away, and then he starts to you know starts to slack down a little bit, and then he you know you need constant 
uh, I would say to be beat up by better players constantly to remind you that you need to work hard. Because yeah. then in Dubai, when you you're beating everybody, you, you can you can feel okay. I'm I'm good enough, you know. And that is. Well, I mean, you I you you can speak to that pretty well. I mean, uh, in yeah. my own little squash world, I was number one in, in Atlantic Canada as a junior, uh, yes. and especially in my province. And then I I just remember uh, when I turned when I moved into the seniors, it really it took me like four years before I won a, a like a significant squash tournament at that level after and i think it was just you know not making excuses but i i didn't have the the wherewithal to to kind of work hard uh, uh to get to, to to maintain the where i was in, in my ranking to maintain that as a senior squash player so i think if you if things come easy for example it maybe came easy to you here maybe it comes easy to any junior who's number one here they don't they're not able to apply the same not able to apply any work ethic if they're not unless they're careful or unless it's ingrained in them that they have to yeah yeah that's 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 uh that's a very valid point and that is something that you know uh as my dad and i grew up uh you know together we learned quite a lot from each other and we were very open to discussing these things quite a lot and this was one of the biggest issues I always had, not so much in the juniors, uh, you know, but more so in the seniors, because in the junior level, uh, my dad kept pushing me like it wouldn't matter if I can hit, you know, 10 good shots out of 15. He wants he wanted to try and get me to hit 15 out of 15 good shots. So I wasn't competing against someone. I was just competing against myself. So. If you have that sort of mindset, especially when you're training all alone and you don't have competition, that's something that's really, really important that mm. you constantly push yourself. But then that again, being alone in a country uh, where you're, you know, don't have competition can be really tough. Uh, so, you know, in the beginning for me, my dad kept pushing me a lot to do this. But then through my career, I had, you know, uh, I don't know if you know him, but I've had Kashif Shuja from, from uh, New Zealand, who was number one. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. He's a Pakistani uh, by by birth, but then he moved to New Zealand. He had a, you know, he has the same uh, academic background as myself, and uh, he got to top 30s in the world. He was a huge inspiration. I don't think he knows, but he was a huge inspiration to me because, you know, again, as I mentioned, I was one of the very few players in Pakistan who studied and played at the same time. But you know, he did the he did the same thing. But he moved to New Zealand, and then he had a very good structure to work with. Uh, Martin Knight was a very good friend of mine who helped me, you know, just just discussing with these guys every now and then, you know, what I was going through and, and you know, how what they were doing in terms of training. So I tried to do that in Dubai uh, and, you know, just keep up with their uh, pace. And, you know, it was something that I had to look forward to. So you do need a support support group. Uh, mm. I think a bigger support group when you're when you're training on your own. Just uh, one last thing, Adam, you've been great with your time. Now, uh, as you know, as we all know, the PSA Super Series final uh, successfully wrapped up uh, a couple of weeks ago in Cairo. And three years prior to that, we had the luxury of uh, hosting that event in uh, Dubai. Uh, and uh, at the time, uh, during that time, you said, uh, I think it was in one of the local newspapers, that it was a critical uh, opportunity for UAE squash to piggyback uh, off of that and to uh, help develop the game at, at that level in this country. Uh, now, do you think uh, the UAE took advantage of that opportunity or not? I think that that's a, 
sort of rhetorical question there, but um, uh, <laughs> what, what, what's your impression of uh, how things played out? Obviously, it was a great event, and while they were here, they had some tremendous uh, venues, and, and it weren't, I think it, it, it w was really well run, but uh, in terms of what it uh, translated to for the uh, national squash scene, uh, what do you think? Yeah, um, you're right. I think uh, I uh, the, the article you're referring to was before the start of the first one. I think we had three events in, in Dubai that took place, and uh, this article was before the first, just as the first one was announced. And I still stand by what I said back then. And unfortunately, we uh, for UA Squash uh, locally, uh, we didn't really do a lot with that event. You know, it was it was lovely having it in Dubai, and you know. I think the only time we've had international players come to Dubai in the past was, I think, in 93 uh, when we had the Dubai Squash Classic. And then, you know, Andy Staines uh, used to run the Squash Threes in Dubai every year. Uh, that was incredible. I, I, that when was, I arrived, uh, that was the last year that they held that event. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've I've watched that. I played that event the first time I was 13 years old, and then I I used to watch it since I was about five years old. You know, because I think it ran for about 15, 20 years. Uh, and everybody used to love that event. And that was, you know, that was someone, an expat in the UAE who wanted to do a lot for, you know, squash in the UAE. And he tried to bring a lot of international players over just so we as local players in the UAE can see uh, international squash, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, I think one of the reasons um, why, you know, squash not very popular amongst the local, uh, you know, the citizen youth and the adults is that they're not really exposed to the game uh, at a regular level, uh, at a regular time. You know, um, they, you know, when as you mentioned, when the PSA Super Series was run, it was run beautifully. Everything went perfectly well. The the locations were brilliant. You know, they had the Burj Khalifa the first year. Uh, you know, just under the Burj Khalifa the first year, and then they had the Opera, and then the Emirates Golf Club. So, it it did put Dubai on the map. Uh, of world squash everybody knew okay you know Dubai and UAE can do these wonderful events in the UAE but um, it wasn't covered before or after the events were done which I felt was a missed opportunity you know because if we could have gotten the local squash community involved especially from the first one till the last one where you know we had the glass court were a couple of ideas that I put uh, put forward was to use the glass court for maybe, you know, like a national super series finals because they were empty in the morning, nobody was using them. So we could have gotten the local juniors and seniors involved in it Absolutely, to quite yeah. a lot. You know, they did have a few clinics every now, you know, during the events, but there was nothing building up, uh, you know, as, 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 a, as a UAE squash community. Yeah, well, there was yeah. nothing built up to, you know, build up anticipation. Okay, they have another year that the event's happening. Let's do something from now till next year that, you know, you know, ends up at the Super Series, you know. Well, they and, seem to do that uh, at, for a lot of the other tournaments, whether it's the British Open or, you know, other major events like that where they couple it with uh, local events or national events, uh, age group exactly. events or, yeah, so I'm surprised. Yeah, exactly. uh, hmm. yeah that, that was, that was the, the point I'd made, uh, you know, uh, to the, you know, they're, they're, uh, you're quite well aware of it because you've been a part of it as well. You were a part of it for a while. Um, you know, we have the non-expats that are uh, the, the expats that are managing squash in the UAE for the past 15, 20 years, you know. Um, they need to be a lot more keen in trying to get professional squash into the UAE. However, things are going on in the local circuit here. They seem to be quite keen with that, you know, running it at that level. 
but if we want to take it to the next level, you know, we need to take the British Open and the U.S. Open, you know, all these other events. I've, when I played the, you know, the, you know, the U.S. Open, uh, oh, sorry, the Tournament of Champions, we had these, uh, you know, they, they commit the players to go and do these little clinics with the local players in different clubs, you know, small clubs. We'd go and do these clinics with the players and, you know, you could obviously refuse, but you don't want to because when you're staying with billets and everything, you have a responsibility to give back to the community as well. So, you know, players never say no and they're always happy to help out. Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of things I think we needed when they were here. Now you see they've moved on to Egypt and yeah. you can... Yeah, that kind of flew under the radar. Yeah. Did you did you know? I mean, I didn't really catch on to that until I, I posted something on Facebook uh, maybe two months before the Super Series final, and then uh, I forget yeah. who it was, and said, oh, no, no, uh, we're not coming this year. It's in Cairo. So, yeah, I, I, I had a little bit of an idea last year because uh, I think there was a new company that did the Super Series last year. Mm -hmm. So I did have a little bit of an idea that that might be the last year that they're doing it in Dubai. But, uh, yeah, like, you know, now it's gone to Egypt. You can see the vibe of the crowd, you know, the enthusiasm they have, whether it's for Egyptian players or non-Egyptian players, you can see they understand the game. You know, they've got, they've got you know, a lot riding on it to get their countrymen to win. So I think, you know, in, in Dubai, of everybody that's been, I mean, we have a very large uh, amateur, uh, you know, playing base in Dubai, in, in the UAE itself, you know, but very few professional squash players. Yeah. And I think... To take it to that next level, we need more professional players and coaches working together, uh, you know, and they need that we need to invite more and more professionals into the country because I think there is a huge gap of amateur coaches and professional coaches in the UAE, which needs to be, you know, you know, when you when you've played professionally yourself, you have certain you've experienced events yourself and you know how to get uh, more kids involved in the game because if they don't see uh, the glamour behind the sport then you know you know with kids they're not gonna they're not gonna get uh, motivated to train or motivated to play uh, you know every time there was these super series events we had a lot of kids who wanted to try squash for the first time because they mm -hmm. saw all these players you know enjoying themselves and you know being superstars and all the kids wanted to play but then a couple of months down the line then they don't see that again you know yeah. it, it uh, <laughs> you know the, their motivation is gone and then they see again our sports really hard you know, it's a very, very tough sport. So staying motivated is difficult. But again, if you can, you know, keep your eye on the prize. Okay, I want to play in the fine on the on the on the glass court of the Super Series. If I win my junior tournament, you know, you push for the whole year. You know, yeah. So if you, you know, I think that was something that we missed out on. But again, yeah, not all hopes lost. Uh, no, exactly. <laughs> no, you've got. I mean, you've got like uh, like we talked about earlier. You've got some some good juniors down there that are playing well. There are other juniors, I think, uh, at some other clubs. Maybe Fahim Khan's got got a good program over there. Uh, we've got a couple of, uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Manthan uh, uh, up here and Rack, and uh, you know we can pool, uh, you know, get together and kind of uh, work on uh, how to, how to go forward and. Uh, you know, it, like you said, it not it's not all lost, uh, right? Yeah, I think we just need a, a good structure. Uh, you know, this is something I proposed uh, back in 2007 uh, and 2008 as well, that we need to have a, a solid structure of events. You know, I, I tried to base, uh, since I was playing, since I played the European Junior Circuit quite a bit, I tried to base an entire system on that and try to bring that to Dubai, uh, you know, to the UAE and have regular tournaments, have a 
fixed point structure, fixed mm -hmm. draws, uh, you know, you know, mm -hmm. basically everything done by the book, you you know, you get your rules and regulations sorted early on. Yeah. And then I think this is another issue that, as I mentioned, everybody doing their little things uh, locally is quite happy with what they're doing rather than be a part of a collective, you know, and that is something I think we really need to work on moving ahead that we have fixed rules, fixed, fixed structure events. You know, anybody can run the event if they want to, as long as obviously they get the required permissions. And then, you know, if they are following the rules, they're held accountable for what they're doing, what they're not doing. So, you know, everybody is, is uh, happy to come and play those tournaments because there are such few events that happen in UAE. Like we've got two or three events, but since they're not regularized properly, everyone's free to do what they want. Like I played the UAE Open uh, in October, which is probably the last time I played unless they, they make a couple of changes. You know, for winning the national title in Dubai, uh, uh, for, for winning the UAE Open, uh, you know, they hadn't announced the prize money beforehand. So I ended up getting 1,500 germs uh, for driving to Abu Dhabi five times from where I live. So that's <laughs> yeah. something that's, you know, that's very disheartening. And, you know, I, I wouldn't play that event next time again, you know, because it's just not worth it, you know. Uh, so well, these I are mean, I think what, what, I'm, what I'm getting from you is uh, I think you just, we just need a, a little bit more, well, you know, a little bit, a lot more uh, transparency in terms of all of this exactly. stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, with the transparency, it's only going to grow and develop uh, and get better. Exactly. So it again comes down to, you know, it's not one person that the responsibility falls on. Anybody who can follow the rules, you know, because, you know, who can follow whatever we set up or whatever is set up to follow to do tournaments can do the tournaments. So it's not one person who takes all the load of running the events, which can be very, very hectic with everybody having their own jobs and stuff to do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the transparency would allow others to do what they want as well. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just, mm -hmm. uh, and I think more like seniors is a separate issue altogether because we're adults and we know, you know, it's, it, we know what we're doing. But like the, the you know, Juniors, there needs to be, uh, you know, the, the categories need to be fixed. You can't be having under 11 and under 12 in the same tournament. That doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, right. You need to have, you know, fixed age groups that the kids play and they know, okay, if they have, this is their last time playing this tournament and then this event and then they need to move on to the next one. So this is, I think, at a junior level, very, very essential that they, they you know, if they're moving up the age groups, they know they have to train accordingly and they have to work harder than the first year in an older age group. They need to work harder to catch up, you know? Right. So I think these, yeah, these little things need to be worked on, but yeah, we'll, we'll try our best and see how it goes. Absolutely. Onward and upward, Adel. Uh, and thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I know you got to run. Uh, you got to pick up your, your son at school, I believe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you better get going and uh, really great chatting with you and uh, all the best. I hope, uh, you know, you, things go well with your training and with your uh, return to the PSA tour and uh, let's keep in touch uh, over the next little while. Maybe I'll get down and uh, you can put me through uh, some, some intense uh, training yourself. <laughs> yeah, that'd be lovely. It was, it was we, a pleasure we talking to about you. that for years and it never. Oh happened. yeah. 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 I, I think I, I, I've, I've always told people that, you know, uh, you're one of the closest people I I have, you know, been talking to, but I've never met. Well, we did meet, we did meet, uh, uh, I think it was a Premier League match. I don't know if you're, you, you play, I, I used to play number one uh, for the Alain team. And we, uh, we used uh, to, I used to switch with uh, Gavin Pennington. We used to swap yeah. in and out. I and think that I've night played, you played I think Gavin. I, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah I, Gavin hits the ball through the wall. Yeah. Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> so yeah, I think I, I just played two or three matches. I think this was back in uh, when you just would have arrived. I think because I came yeah. back from Canada and I just played. I think the last two matches of the Premier League, and that was the last year they ran it. I think, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but since we've been chatting so much together uh, over the past five, six years. I think we, yeah, we've never met. We've made plans, and I think we need to follow through on them now. Well, uh, maybe the best idea is for me to bring uh, my my uh, junior there, Manthan, down. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I got a great story by the way about Gavin. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, if you noticed when you played him, he's missing half of his uh, index finger. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, you probably didn't. Uh, Anyways, no, the story the story behind it is uh, uh, when he was a junior. He, there, I don't know who he was playing, but he uh, he actually beat David Palmer as a junior. And wow. He was training uh, quite hard. Uh, they were doing court sprints. And when he went to touch the front wall to uh, to turn and go back for, for his next sprint, his finger got stuck in the little hole, you know, uh, in the door on those uh, concrete courts. Uh, and then yeah, as yeah. he pushed back, uh, the finger, uh, he didn't realize until he was back at the other end of the court, but his finger, the other half of his finger was in the door. Oh no! Wow! Yeah. <laughs> must have, Can must you believe have that? Really yeah. Must, must have been really focused on doing those court sprints. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. He must have been out there with uh, Cam Nancaro or something. He was drilling them. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's he's, he's uh, he was one of the players in in Dubai. I I didn't play quite a bit, but yeah, he like you know you. He's played at that level, so he had the pace when, oh, yeah. when you play against him. You know, he he moved uh, really he well for for a big yeah. fella too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah, he could keep up the pace. You know, for you know how much ever long, but it was it was good to play that pace. You know, because yeah, that only comes with uh, you being a professional player yourself. And he had that, and yeah, as you mentioned, he could smash the ball. So I would hate to hate to think what he'd do if he had all the five fingers. What he'd do with the ball? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Adel, it was really great chatting with you, and uh, let, let's hook up soon. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Garrett, Jerry. That was great. Well, thanks again, Adel, for that really interesting and, and wide-ranging conversation, and want to wish him all the best as he starts to play a few more PSA events again. Let's hope he can uh, get fit, healthy, and uh, injury-free for those ones. I think if he does manage to uh, stay injury-free and if he can uh, get fit he'll uh, he'll do well uh, you can see the skills skill set that he has with the racket uh, there aren't many people that can do what he can do with the racket and uh, he has all the skills so I think it's just a matter of getting fit and strong if the body is up for it for so for him good luck and all the best uh, it was really interesting uh, talking to him about uh, squash here in the UAE especially in Dubai because when as I mentioned in the intro when I first arrived here in uh, 2007 and it, I think it was right towards the end of its heyday. Uh, things were starting to, uh, there were some political issues that uh, you know, I'm not sure if I can get into those right now, but things sort of just uh, dropped off a bit, maybe especially about three or four years later. We had some really great venues. We had the uh, Premier League and uh, every club in Dubai, all the famous clubs. You have the Jumeirah Beach Hotel. They had a, had a great team. Uh, the Aviation Club, which is uh, the same club where they play the ATP tennis event. It's connected to that uh, facility uh, where Roger Federer and Serena Williams, they come here every year for their ATP tour event. It's the same facility there. Uh, several other facilities, uh, really, really uh, great squash 
lots of people, uh, expatriates from all over the world playing, uh, but that seems to have died off for some reason. So uh, we'd like to see that uh, come back at some point. Uh, so uh, we'll still, you know, still try to pursue that and hopefully uh, get it back on its feet again. But um, at any rate, again, thanks to Adel for coming on. And uh, we've got the Pan Am Games uh, series of podcasts uh, still uh, developing. Uh, we have uh, Andrew Schnell coming on uh, uh, this week, so that'll be, that'll be good. Hopefully Martin Heath will come on. I'm trying to get uh, uh, Chris Binney from the Jamaican uh, squad. Hopefully a few of the ladies uh, will, will come on. I think Holly Naughton from Team Canada trying to get uh, – Olivia Blatchford from the American team. So uh, we've got several of the uh, the competitors in the Pan Am Games uh, hopefully coming on to the podcast before the event starts. And uh, I know they're all busy in preparation for that right now. So uh, at any rate, uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Please, again, um, please share this on your social media and with your squash community. I really uh, appreciate everyone who listens and everyone who comments and shares my, uh, my podcast and likes it on Twitter. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, have a great day, and talk to you soon. Goodbye now.